Hey guys, thanks so much for joining us right here for the Active Church Podcast. We believe that you can tell a better story and we are so glad you are engaging with our content today. You're about to hear from one of our incredible teaching pastors and we hope that you'll be impacted by this message. Thanks again for being with us. Hi, and welcome to Active Church Online, everyone. My name is Mike, and I serve on the team here at Active Church. And whether you're watching or listening, whether this is your first time or you've been with us a long time, thanks for making time to be a part of the story that God is writing here at Active Church. You're joining us for a real important Sunday, an essential Sunday, because you and I get to talk about the future of Active Church. And in order to talk about the future, I want to go to the past for just a moment, but not too far into the past. I want to go to the past seven to eight months and talk about what we faced together. We are in the midst of facing a global pandemic that has influenced our economy, that has influenced our mental health, and that has opened our eyes to the racial inequality that's in our world. And we've experienced this in just the last seven months. I rushed through each of those things, but those things are hard and those things are heavy, but those things actually will shape the future of active because it causes us to ask all sorts of questions. And maybe like me, you've asked questions about what in the world is going on in our world? Maybe you've considered like, is this Armageddon? (laughs) Is this the beginning of the end? Is the world coming to an end because all that's taking place is happening? It feels all at the same time. And if you're a Christian, if you're a person that's choosing to pursue God, and I'm assuming if you're watching or listening that you're at least interested in God, if you're someone that's considering God, maybe you've actually considered what God is doing during this time. Maybe you're wondering if God is sad or if he's mad or if he's upset with us? Is this God's judgment because we've not treated each other well and that we've sinned against him? Maybe those questions have rolled around in your brain and in your heart. Maybe you think that God is calling us to confession and repentance. And for the record, I really believe that anytime we confess our sin and repent, it's always a good thing. But these are questions that I've wrestled with. These are questions that have been brought to me and perhaps they're questions that you've wrestled with and they're questions that people have brought to you. And all of our questions are motivated by a few things. They're motivated by our worldview. They're motivated by how we were raised or what we were taught or our desire to know what's gonna happen in the future. But the thing that I want us to consider today together is this. Are those questions actually the most helpful questions that we should be asking in this season of life? Are those questions the most hopeful? 
Are those questions really the most beneficial? And the reason why I think we need to consider this is because the first Christians, the Christians that came out of the story of Jesus that built the church back in the first century, they didn't ask these questions when they faced similar circumstances like we're facing today. I think our questions actually reveal a lot about us, don't they? I think it reveals the questions we're asking today. Is this the end? Is God mad? All of that. I think it reveals our limited knowledge of a few things, our limited knowledge and understanding of history, our limited knowledge and understanding of what's happening in the world, our limited knowledge and understanding of what's happening before all of this happened in our world, and our limited knowledge of what's taking place in our cities and in our communities and in our nation. And it actually causes me to consider this question. And maybe it's a question that you need to consider. We all need to consider. And it's a bit personal and it might seem a bit offensive, but I want you to hear it and let it sit in your heart for just a minute. In light of everything that's going on around us and our response to it, it causes me to think this question. Why do we have such a low pain threshold? Now, I'm not saying that we should enjoy a pandemic and we should enjoy racial injustice and we should enjoy the economy struggling and our issues with mental health. But I do consider why we have such a low pain threshold. Because everything seems to be a hassle to us. Everything seems to be an inconvenience to us. And I think part of the reason why is because you and I, we're incredibly privileged. We have been resourced and we have been protected. And when that changes even just a little, it changes us, doesn't it? And I think you and I, we have high expectations for how we expect to be treated and how we expect things to go. It's one of the reasons why I believe we fight over the silliest things and we make them the greatest things. It's one of the reasons why we choose our individual needs over our personal responsibility and calling in life. And when we do that, we actually lose sight of who it is that we're actually living for. And all of that shapes our questions. And it doesn't lead us, I believe, to good questions about the suffering and the pain and the circumstances around us. It actually causes us, like I mentioned, it causes us to see things as a hassle or as an inconvenience. And so today I just want us to consider, as we think about the future of active, I wanna start by considering the questions that we should be asking, the things that we should be focusing on. You know, if you've spent any time in the scriptures, and if you haven't, that's okay, I'm glad that you're here. But if you spent any time in the scriptures, what you'll discover, especially from the men and women who wrote what's called the New Testament in the Bible, they actually make it very clear what kind of questions the first Christians asked when they were facing problems like we're facing, when they're facing circumstances like we're facing and that we're in. They actually write about the questions that they asked during that time. And what I wanna do together today, for those that are watching, for those that are listening, what I wanna do together today is I wanna show you the questions that they asked. I want us to discover the things that they discovered and considered. And then I want to share with you why it matters for us today. And so if you have a Bible with you, or if you have the Bible app near you, would you turn to the document, a letter called Acts in the Bible? 
Acts chapter 8 is where we're going to spend some time. And as you're turning there, as you're getting ready to read with me, I want to set the scene for you. Acts chapter 8 is not too long after the cross, the crucifixion of Jesus, and the tomb, the resurrection of Jesus. And this scene that we're about to enter into is a scene where people are really, really upset with Christians. In fact, after the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, it was open season on all Christians. And one of those Christians that faced incredible pain and incredible suffering was a man named Stephen. And he was a pretty incredible guy. He was a servant. He helped feed people. And he was a powerful communicator of faith. When he talked about his faith and the hope that he had in Jesus, it was fascinating and engaging because he was able to articulate what was happening inside of him and share that to those around him. And because of that, he was arrested and he was tried for blasphemy. Blasphemy is a fancy word to say that these people are anti-God. They're making claims about God that aren't true. In fact, ironically, the first Christians were considered atheists because they believe that God came and put skin on and his name is Jesus. And the believers in God believe that that was something that would never happen. And so he was put on trial. Stephen was put on trial because of his faith. And in this trial, he was given an opportunity to defend himself. And when he did, his argument, it was so compelling. His argument was so compelling that those that were listening According to the writer of Acts, his name is Luke. Luke says that the religious leaders plugged their ears and ran at Stephen shouting like a little kid would if they don't want to hear from their mom and their dad. Just plugging their ears going, la, 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 la. They don't care. And this caused all sorts of chaos. And it ended up them dragging Stephen outside of the city and stoning him to death. Now, we don't do that today thankfully. But to stone someone to death is to throw stones at someone with the intent to kill them. And that's where we pick up this story, because it led to more people being taken captive. And in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 1, Luke, the author, tells us this. After the stoning of Stephen, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. They were no longer able to meet safely, and they were no longer able to meet legally. And so everyone scattered except for the apostles, who were the 12 that spent three years with Jesus. Meeting safely and legally is something that we all can relate to, especially in the year 2020, right? And this is the response to this great disruption, to the threat upon their lives. This was the response. This terrible, awful situation, Luke tells us that the Christians did this in verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. They told the story of Jesus. They spoke about the hope that they have in Jesus. The circumstances around them, don't miss this, the circumstances around them didn't terrify them to the place where they didn't move and got stuck. 
It actually was a catalyst for them telling the story of Jesus. Christians were scattered because they couldn't gather. They were dispersed and they were despised, and yet it helped them. It gave them a boldness, a courage to tell the story of Jesus, to speak about the hope that they have wherever they went, even though the circumstances were terrible and awful. And then Luke gives us some specifics. He says in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, he says, now some of them who had been scattered by the persecution traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, and they told the message to Jews only, which is so interesting because it was the Jews that were frustrated with the Christians and believed that they were atheists because they were talking about God putting skin on and him being the person of Jesus. And so they were frustrated, and yet these Christians decided to not allow them to become enemies. They actually told the story of Jesus to their Jewish friends, their Jewish brothers and sisters. And one of those Jewish men was Saul. Saul was the catalyst for all of this. He was there when Stephen was stoned. He led the march against the Christians. And Saul had his life changed by Jesus because on his way to arrest Christians, Jesus confronted him face-to-face on the road to Damascus. And Saul is a really famous Christian because he eventually goes by the name of Paul. He was an enemy of the church and an enemy of Jesus, and it was in that moment that his heart and his mind was changed because he saw the resurrected Jesus and began to believe and trust in him. And then Luke tells us in verse 20, some of them began to speak to the Greeks also. So some focused on the Jewish people and then some focused on the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, the Greek people, telling them about the good news of Jesus. And then I love this verse, verse 21. And the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Friends, this was their mission and this was their focus. They were in the midst of this incredible disruption and they decided to speak about the hope that they have in Jesus. They decided to tell the better story of the person and work of Jesus. What if that was the church's story in this season of life? Man, what if that was our story, your story, my story in this season of life? That we didn't see what we were facing in this world as obstacles, but we saw what we were facing in this world as a new opportunity to tell about the hope that we have in Jesus? It doesn't mean that we ignore what's happening around us. It doesn't mean that it won't make us nervous. We won't feel anxiety. We won't be terrified. It just means that we decide to be bold and courageous and speak about the God who gives us that courage to tell his story because of the hope that we have in us. And it turns out that the message of Jesus was so irresistible to people that more and more people decided to trust in Jesus during this time. In fact, The churches that surrounded Jerusalem, one place in a city called Antioch, it grew so fast that they actually sent for more help from the church in Jerusalem. And the church in Jerusalem sent a man named Barnabas. So Barnabas shows up to this place called Antioch and begins to tell people about the hope that he has in Jesus. And more people find it irresistible, so much so that they have to send for more help. And that's where this man named Saul, who eventually becomes Paul, shows up. And he is someone who serves right alongside Barnabas. And let me just be clear, the reason why so many people were turning their attention to Jesus was because 
The Christians used this disruption as a catalyst to speak about the hope that they have in Jesus. Here's what's so interesting to me. If that wasn't interesting enough, here's what's so interesting to me. There is no indication that any of these first century Christians asked questions like, in light of what's going on around us, how does this fit the greater narrative? There's no indication that they ask questions like, is God judging us? Is God upset with our immorality, our sin, our anger? Is God upset with how we've treated each other? Is God calling us to something? What's the greater narrative? Is this the end times? Is this the end of the world? There's no indication that they ask those questions at all. In fact, the thing that we do discover is that they had a conviction that Jesus was coming back soon in their lifetime. And because of that, they wanted people to know about the hope that they have in Jesus. And they took this crazy and chaotic moment and they turned it into a courageous moment to help people commit their lives to the Christ, to Jesus. In fact, it was this moment this messy, chaotic moment where the name Christian actually was used for the very first time. Luke tells us that the disciples, the Christians, the first followers of Jesus, were called Christians first at Antioch. And if all of this threat, not being able to meet safely and legally, wasn't overwhelming enough, there's a new plot twist that shows up in the very next verse. Luke tells us this in Acts chapter 11, verse 27. He writes that during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, Agabus, he predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. So not only is there this threat, not only are their lives on the line, but now they're not going to have food to eat. And famine would affect not just one family, but all families. Famine would affect an entire village, a town, and even a generation would potentially starve to death. So this was hard and this was heavy. It was the worst possible fear. And it would spread throughout the entire region. And yet these men and women, they responded in a powerful way. And Luke is really great at telling this story because Luke does a good job of helping us to understand that this isn't something that he made up. He didn't start off with once upon a time. This actually is a historical, factual moment. He actually writes in verse 28 that all of this happened during the reign of Claudius. It's Luke's way of saying, fact check me. I'm going to timestamp this because you can go back in history and find out that all of this took place during the reign of Claudius. It's like what we will do in a year or in five years or in 10 years when we talk about the pandemic. We'll say, remember 2020? We're timestamping it because it actually happened. We lived through it. And Luke is writing about that, timestamping it so that you and I know this isn't a made up story. This actually happened. And when they got this devastating, horrifying news about a famine hitting their land, they didn't ask questions like, hey, what does this mean? Is God judging the Roman Empire for their cruelty and their immorality? Is this a sign for the end times? They didn't ask any of those questions. Instead, they asked far more helpful and hopeful questions. Theologian N.T. Wright writes a book called God and the Pandemic. It's written before this pandemic, and so you got to read it because it speaks to what we're going through right now. N.T. Wright's book, God and the Pandemic. And in it, he summarizes the questions that the first Christians would ask anytime they faced a crazy and chaotic world. And those three questions were these three questions. One, who will be at risk? Two, 
How can we help? And three, who should we send? They didn't ask, is God mad? Is God upset? Is this the end of the world? They asked, who's at risk in light of what's going on around us? Who's at risk because they cared about suffering? They asked, how can we help because we want to do something because we have the hope of Jesus in us and we want other people to have that hope? And who can we send? Who are the best people to send to really make an impact and to change the story here? And this group was already disrupted by the threat against their lives. And now this famine had shown up and that didn't stop them. In fact, many of them were new to following Jesus and yet they considered, what can we do for others? And here's what's so fascinating, so extraordinary about this. Most of them were poor. Most of them were vulnerable. Most of them were not personally connected to any sort of help. Most of them were outlaws because of their faith. And yet they thought about others. They thought about how they could resource those who were less resourced. They thought about how they could serve those who were looked at as undeserving. And Luke tells us that they gathered together in light of all that was going on. And he tells us that the disciples, each according to his or her own ability, decided to provide help to the brothers in Judea. The first followers of Jesus, in light of what was going on, they said, what can we do to the best of our ability. And I love that because they weren't asking for an amount of time, amount of talent, or amount, an amount of treasure. They weren't asking everybody, this is what you need to give. They were saying, hey, we need 100% participation because we need people to know about the hope that we have in Jesus. And sometimes that hope is expressed when we do something really tangible, like giving resource. And so each of the men and women said, here's what we can do to the best of our ability. And then they gathered all of this resource and they gave it to Barnabas and Saul to disperse to those who were in need. And here, here's where it gets really interesting. So stay with me. Don't miss this. This happened in Jerusalem, 300 miles away from Antioch, which on foot was a two weeks journey one way. Not only were they far away from each other in geography, they were also far away from each other culturally. They had nothing to do with each other. They didn't know each other well. They were very different from each other, and yet they considered one another and decided to love each other. Now, we might hear that and go, well, that's so great. That's actually a really positive thing that they gave of their resource to those who maybe couldn't give back or were different than them. But in this time, it actually wasn't celebrated. You and I, we celebrate generosity, especially when we give and that person can't give back. But in their time, you were considered a fool if you were good to someone who couldn't be good back to you. Like this was so foreign to them. There was no category for this way of life until they met Jesus. And Jesus taught them in his words and in his life that we should live a life where we give of ourselves and not expect them to give back anything in return. Because Jesus came to die on the cross for their sins, a debt they could not pay. They could not deal with it on their own. They could not forgive themselves. They decided that they were going to have to turn to Jesus and trust him with everything that was inside of them. And Jesus came and forgave them. Jesus came and rescued them. Jesus came and set them free and they couldn't pay him back. And so they decided to live in such a way 
that they would give to others and not expect anything in return. Friends, what if we followed their lead? Because these are our people. They set the pace. They raised the stakes. They set the standard. What if we followed their lead? And what if in the future of active, instead of asking the questions that we are asking, what if we asked the questions that they asked in light of what's going on around us? What if we considered who will be at risk? Because we actually care about the suffering of those around us. What if we asked, how can we help? Because we actually want to provide hope and connect our hearts to our hands. What if we asked the question, who should we send? That we would send our best people to give and to love and to serve. What if we followed their lead? Friends, we have a great opportunity in front of us today and in the future of active. Did you know that there are two 0.2 million people within a 30-mile radius of our active church Ukaipa location. And of those 2.2 million people, 1.7 million of them don't know Jesus. If you were to come to Active Church Ukaipa and drive away, you would pass 5,000 people. 5,000 people who don't know Jesus after one mile alone. There is an opportunity for us as a church to tell about the story of Jesus, to speak about the hope of Jesus, and to express the love of Jesus to those that are in desperate need of hope and love and a better story. It's why we exist, friends. It's why Active Church is here. We exist to help people meet Jesus and learn to follow Jesus. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here, because there is a better story to be told, and that better story begins in the person and work of Jesus. So for the future of active, we're gonna do two things. We're gonna have two postures. We're gonna make two decisions. We're gonna take two very extraordinary steps and they're gonna seem very simple to you, but in, it's in the simple that God does his greatest work. We're gonna invest, and we're gonna invite. I wanna talk about what it means to invite first because you and I have an opportunity to invite those that we love in our relational world into the better story of Jesus. You and I have an opportunity to invite those that we have cared for and will continue to care for into the better story of Jesus. You and I, we give an invitation to those around us because we believe that there is a greater purpose for their life. And that's why we invite them to come sit with us and to come watch with us at Active Church. And not only do we invite those that are in our relational circle, we invite those that are outside of our relational circle. We invite those that we interact with. We even invite those that are different than us, that maybe we don't even know, that, we, that may, be, may be a stranger to us. My friend Art and his wife Carolyn are a part of Active, and they have been a part of Active for 30 years. And Art has mastered the art of inviting people to Active Church. Not only those that he loves in his relational circle, but those that are outside of that circle that he's getting to know. He is so great at inviting people to come and step into this place so that they can discover the hope that's found in Jesus. And he's great because he doesn't make it weird, because this invitation is powerful and it's courageous. And I know that often when we think about inviting somebody, it can be intimidating, it can be overwhelming, 
Maybe you don't know when you should invite someone, and so let me give you some help. You can actually untie the knots of life when you invite someone to come and sit with you and watch with you at Active Church. So here's when you should invite somebody. When you hear that they're not in church, untie that knot with an invitation. When you hear that things are not going well in their life, untie that knot with an invitation. When you hear that they're not prepared for this season of life, maybe they had a kid, got a new job, or maybe it's a pandemic world, invite them, untie that knot and invite them to come sit with you or watch with you at Active Church. And listen, don't invite them and say, hey, you should come and do this sometime. Invite them to come Sunday next week because that, that gives them an opportunity to decide, to put it on the calendar and for you to look for them. Give them a goal to come and be a part of what God is doing here at Active Church because it's in this place that we believe better stories can be told. And maybe you're wondering, like, Mike, do you really believe that Active Church is the answer for everything? And the answer to that question is maybe. Maybe our church is the answer for everything because at our church, we talk about the story of Jesus. We talk about the gospel of Jesus. And what is the gospel not the answer for? It answers the question of sin and talks about forgiveness and freedom that's found in Jesus. The gospel answers the question about the reality of sorrow and how God can be present in our pain and there's a purpose in our pain. It talks about the reality of death and that death doesn't have to get the last word in your story and in mine. Friends, you have the hope of Jesus in you. This is why we invite. This is why we tell a better story. This is why we don't keep it to ourselves. And the best way to invite somebody is say, hey, come sit with me. Come watch with me. It changes your behavior online. Suddenly you like and you comment and you share and you tag because you want people to know about the thing that you're building. You want people to know about the story that God is telling. And so extend that invitation because when you extend that invitation, you are choosing to not see this world and what's happening in this world as an obstacle. You're choosing to see this world and what's happening in this world as an opportunity to speak about the hope that you have. And by the way, aren't you glad that someone invited you because it changed your life, didn't it? And when you invite someone, it changes how you see things. You begin to see the world through their eyes. You begin to see our experience through their eyes. Aren't you glad someone invited you? It changed your life. And so extend that invitation. Come watch with me. Come sit with me. Be a part of the story that God is writing at Active Church. And this is why we actually have events at Active, why we do the things that we do. And so if you're looking for an opportunity to invite that person that maybe wouldn't come and sit with you yet or watch with you, then I want to invite you to invite them to Trunk or Treat on Halloween night at Active Church Ukaipa. I wanna invite you to invite them to a new thing that we're doing this year, a tree lighting ceremony on December 6th here at Active Church Ukaipa, or to our Christmas Eve services where we're gonna celebrate the hope that we have in Jesus because a savior has been born. Or how about each and every weekend? I don't know if you know this, but we gather online and in person each and every weekend. I know, blows your mind, right? We gather each and every weekend. We're here every Sunday and because it's online, it's available to you at any time. So invite, invite anybody and everybody because there's a better story for them 
in this world because there's a God who is for them and for this world. Let's talk about the second step, investment. Friends, you are not attending active. You are building active. This isn't about you coming to a building. This is about you building a movement. You investing in what active is all about will help change the world. Your investment changes everything. Your presence here actually brings comfort in moments of suffering. I've had so many people at Active, so many friends tell me that when they show up and they're around you, there is a peace that they feel because they know that there's a God who is for them because there are people who love them. When you are here and you're serving, you're reminding the world that there's hope in the world because you're considering other people before yourself. When you're generous with your resources, you're helping people meet Jesus and learn to follow Jesus. A friend said recently to me, they've been at Active for a year and a half, that in that year and a half, they can name six big things that we've done with our resource. He knew and his wife knew what we do with our resource here and we tell better stories. The point is this, that we do this together. Whenever you give of resource, I want you to know that it changes things. Whenever you hear that something's free, like Trunk or Treat or Kids Blitz or any sort of event that we do, it's because you gave you gave and you gave and you gave and we are never more ready to make a difference in the world than when we are resourced. And by the way, during the pan the, this pandemic and economic crisis and mental health issues and racial inequality, you gave more. You gave more time, more talent, and you gave more treasure. And that's why better stories are being told. That's why we've seen so many people get baptized. We've seen so many lives get changed. We've seen so many marriages get healed. We've seen so many kids find Jesus because you gave. Because this isn't something that you just know about. This is something that you are about. So friends, let's invest and let's invite because that's what we do. That's who we are. That's what our history teaches us. And when we do that, it will shape the future of Active Church. And as we invest and invite, we're always gonna ask, in light of what's going on, who's at risk? How can we help? And who can we serve? Moving to the end of this year and into the beginning of next year, we are gonna prioritize inviting and investing we're gonna consider who's at risk, how we can help and who we can send. Because that, in times like these, that tells a better story. Active, I wanna pray for you. So God, with this invitation, we wanna step into a story of boldness, a story of courage, we wanna step into the better story that you're writing for us. That in light of what's going on around us, a pandemic, inequality, mental health issues, an economic crisis, natural disasters, may we not pause and ask unhelpful questions, but may we pause and ask beneficial questions, hopeful questions questions that are in line with who you are and what you do. I pray that you would give us the boldness to invest and invite. 
because that's what you've done for us. When you gave of your son, you invested in our story and you invited us to come and follow you. And so today, we choose you. May we be people who give, may we be people who serve, and may we be people who invite so that Jesus is honored and it's his story, his work, and his person that invites people into a better story, a story of hope. Thank you, Jesus. And thank you for the future of Active. We trust in you. In your name, we pray all of these things. Amen and amen and amen. We hope you enjoy the Active Church podcast. If you want to know more about Active Church, you can follow us on our social media platforms at Active Churches. Don't forget to subscribe as well to stay connected to future podcasts. And if you are a local to the Redlands or Ukaipa area, we would love for you to experience the room with us. Sunday services are 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. in Ukaipa and 10 a.m. in Redlands. See you next time.